electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Peak inflation, that is what some influential market watchers are saying after today's CPI read. Is that the right call? And if so, what does it mean for your money and stocks? We debate that with the Investment Committee. And joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Degas Wright, Josh Brown, John Ajarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com, 12 noon in the east. So let's check where we stand in the markets. It is an up day after that well, less than feared read on core inflation. There's the Dow, good for 226. NASDAQ, the big winner today for obvious reasons, getting a little bit of relief there, up 161 as yields drop down to 270. That's the 10-year note yield that you're looking at. Um, Stephanie Link, so Tom Lee has been out, and he's like, well, I think inflation's probably peaking. And that's why he's been able to remain as bullish as he is, or at least more bullish than most. And now, none other than Jeffrey Gunlock, Today with Bob Pisani, mm-hmm. we are near peak inflation. Now, unless, of course, you have another surge in energy, he admits it's going to be sticky on wages and rents, but he thinks inflation is peaking. I'm wondering what you make of all of that. It could be peaking, um, and I hope it is, but it's still going to remain hot, and it doesn't change my thinking at all. I mean, sure, the headline number today wasn't as bad as feared, but let's go underneath the surface and look at some of the components. I know we're supposed to look at core, and we're supposed to exclude food and energy, but food and energy are huge. Food was almost up 9%. Energy is up 11%. Oh, by the way, WTI is up another $5 today. Soybeans are actually up quite a bit. Corn is at record highs. So sure, maybe, maybe that the commodity side can uh, come down a little bit. But I just think that when you do look at wages at five and a half percent, when you do look at rents that are running about four and a half percent, the Dallas Fed expects that rents are going to be 6.9 percent by 2023. And we know rents follow home prices, which on average are up 15 percent around the country in some places more. And it follows rents. It follows housing by about a year. So I think that you're going to continue to see pressure on the stickier parts of inflation. And again, the numbers are real and they're very, very impactful. And I don't think this is going to change the Fed by going 50 basis points next meeting, maybe 50 again, the meeting thereafter. We're going to have to see what the data looks like. Stephanie Link sounds like a bear. I'm not a bear because I'm not a bear. I'm not a bear. I'm just saying inflation is going to stay hot. Inflation is going to stay hot. Let me finish. Let let me finish. So if you look at pivoting, 
pivoting to pivoting to earnings, which I'm very excited about because we can stop focusing so much on the macro. It's still going to be out there. It's still important. But now we're going to hear real time what companies have to say. And let's just think what the expectations are. And I think they're actually probably conservative. About 5% earnings growth for the first quarter is expected for the S&P 500. And revenues, total revenues, about 10.8%. If you exclude financials, just as a, as a study and as a test, earnings actually are going to come in, expected to come in about 12%, total revenues up 14%. And I think that that is really going to be a very healthy sign. And I think the stocks are, a lot of them are down and out, particularly the cyclicals, particularly mm-hmm. in technology. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are opportunities. So I am not a bear by any means. I am balanced this year. Oh. And you know that that's what I've been doing in my portfolio all year long. All right, touche. I hear you. Dr. J, so on the cyclicals Mm -hmm. idea, Gunlock also said to stay short cyclicals and long defensive names. So, you know, dance with what's gotten you here, basically, right? If you're worried about the economy, don't play the cyclicals. Uh, If you think that, you know, we could have some trouble ahead, stay defensive. Staples, utilities, you know, the things that have worked lately, Doc. Yeah, and uh, just to touch on what Stephanie was saying briefly, Scott, um, the, uh, the president today said that he's going to increase uh, ethanol and gasoline. Um, we're already seeing corn prices that are double just two years ago, double. Um, and they're going to go significantly higher, Scott, because corn, of course, is a major component for most that you can use any biomass for ethanol. But in particular, corn is the one that they mainly use. And corn is what we feed animals as well as, of course, human beings. So the prices going up there and more competition for corn means that, you know, given the nutrient cutoff we've talked about out of Ukraine because of Russian war, uh, I, I think we're likely to see significantly higher prices for foodstuffs. And, you know, we can always say, oh, you got to take out food and energy. Well, the American people aren't going to take that out, Scott. So you could say inflation's peaked by what the Fed measures it as, mm-hmm. but not by what Joe and Jane investor and people just sitting there at the shopping center and uh, basically look at their inflationary uh, inputs. Uh, They're going to continue to go higher. We okay. have not peaked by a long stretch. So, so Degas, um, this idea of, of shorting uh, cyclical stocks, for example. So UBS today has a note and we're going to talk about part of the note in a moment uh, regarding technology, but they have downgraded industrials. Part of the reasons why Steph laid it out, they moved to underweight industrials based on greater cost issues, exactly what Steph was talking about, um, expectations for underperformance amid growth cycle risks. And then they say to stay long defensive names. So before we get to the other part of the note where they talk very positively about technology, how about this idea, given what Gunlock had to say today and what UBS wants you to do when it, when it comes to cyclicals and then defensive stocks? Well, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is that you still want to be exposure to industrials, but we also have an overweight into materials, energy, and you mentioned consumer staples. So we really don't see the, the argument for a strong underweight to industrials at this point. Because if we look at the industrials that are doing quite well, you know, you have the uh, transportation, the UPS is doing well in this particular market. And you're also going to have a recovery in the airline industry. So these are things that are going to be positive. Also, Lockheed Martin is doing well in the um, 
in the industrial space. So I'm not sure that I agree with the shorting of the industrials at this point. UPS, Degas, I mean, you've seen UPS. UPS down 2.5% this week. 3.5%, uh, excuse me, undersold it. Down 11.5% year-to-date, and it's 18% off the 52-week high. How's that doing well in this market? Trans you know what's happened with the transports, right, Degas? Well, uh, once again, we're long-term holders here, so we're going to uh, go through this period and be confident that we're going to come out on the other side with uh, these companies, and they're going to be doing well going forward, particularly in the second half. Okay. Um, that remains to be seen if the economy slows and you have real worries about a recession. Josh Brown, it's nice to see you. How do you, how do you see things today? Um, I like the gun lock point today because, you know, Tom Lee's kind of been out on an island and it's been a tough place to be. But now gun lock suggests I think maybe it's peaking as well in terms of inflation. What do you think? And then what's the implication for the stock market? I, th I think uh, Gunlock and uh, and Mr. Gunlock and Mr. Lee are both correct. I think this is obvious uh, to all of us that when you see a huge component like used cars and trucks start to roll over, in fact, the monthly drop in that particular metric was the worst monthly drop we've seen since 1969. Nice. Um, so I think I think when you see that, you have to understand prices don't necessarily have to come down. The acceleration to the upside is what has to stop. So we're, we're, we're arguing over rate of change, and we're saying uh, will May be materially higher than April? Probably not, and may even be at the same level. Uh, and then it won't be long until things start to roll over because the comps get harder in the second half of the year. But inflation is not inflation. It's not monolithic. We're talking about all sorts of categories that have all, all sorts of um, idiosyncrasies that can continue to plague the economy even when something like, for example, used cars or dishwashers or home furnishings uh, start to calm down. And we're living through that now with travel. Go try to book a trip. I literally dare you. Um, and so if you, think about, if you think about inflation like a nine-foot python swallows a goat and you watch the goat travel down the length of the python, okay, we got through the first part where we were talking about buying things. Now we're into the services part, travel, leisure, hiring. This is gonna be very tough. It's gonna go on for a while. So when people are like, oh, inflation's gonna go down. Well, what kind? What kind? Because small business owner optimism has never been lower. The readings are now off the charts, worse than 08. Worse than 08. People's spending plans are being ratcheted down. Hiring plans are being ratcheted down. It's unrealistic to think in many businesses in America that you can actually have the kind of year that you want to have okay. given prevailing well, conditions. So what so, do I want to do judge, then? I'm not saying it's... What do I want to own what you and what do, do I want to avoid? And here's what you want to do. And I'm going to speak to the 95% of people who don't care about corn prices or whatever. Here's what you really want to do. You want to ask they yourself, will. what they buckets will. of money... That's fine. What buckets of money? Am I talking about sub three year money? I would buy the snot out of a two year treasury paying me a two and a half percent yield. I would buy it all day. Sub three year money. Money that's three to 10 years, you have no choice but to accept the volatility of stocks. You can bias that toward higher quality stocks. I would skip that whole which uh, sector conversation. I wouldn't do this, oh, is it cyclicals this week? Is it, is it tech next week? I would be very broadly diversified because all of these segments of the market 
are going to have their moment in the sun. We've been living through that sort of rotation for 18 months now. Very, very tough for the average person at time. And then very long-term money, you have to go back to tech, to innovation. They may not, they may not have fallen as much in valuation as the cyclicals or other sectors, but you have to believe the answer to long-term chronic uh, shortages of labor is going to be AI, robotics, increased productivity, um, cloud, software as a service. So I would really be thinking about um, shorter-term money. You're getting a very good yield for almost no risk right now. First time we could see that in years. And then really long-term, back to innovation. But it's that three- to ten-year period you can own value, you can own those cyclicals, and you can own quality. Take the higher fluctuations that come with that. Just learn to live with it. Stop playing games, stop dancing in and out, and I think your portfolio will get you exactly where you're trying to go. Okay, so the other part of the UBS call, which I teased a moment ago, is their upgrade of tech to overweight from underweight. They say it's supported by improving relative growth momentum, higher quality, strong pricing power, lower cost exposures, and payout potential. Valuation higher rates are an overhang. Yeah, they admit that. But growth the growth cycle should matter more. <clears throat> Wondering, Steph, what we think about that. To Josh's point, right, they upgrade technology. You know what? Let's listen to Gunlock, too, because he spoke about, Pisani asked him about tech in the NASDAQ. Let's listen to Jeffrey. We can talk on the other side. The NASDAQ is uh, very, very volatile, and it had, it's, it's had the same type of run into, say, September of last year as it had into the latter part of 1999. And it's very, very bad in terms of its internals. The, the, as the NASDAQ pushed to new highs, the percentage of companies in the NASDAQ that were above their 200-day moving average fell precipitously. This was, this was the warning sign that the market was running out of steam in the fourth quarter of last year. All right, so that's Gunlock talking about the, the NASDAQ staff. And we can expect volatility, obviously, within technology to continue, given just the dynamic that we have with, with interest rates and the, the road ahead for the Fed, et cetera. But what do you make of that comment there and the UBS upgrade today, right? Because tech has been like no-touch bear market, and it's gone down a lot. Hmm. Has it gone down enough? to make it attractive now? So, I mean, there are some parts of tech, you know I have been actually increasing my underweight position, meaning that I was underweight all last year. I'm still underweight, but I'm, I'm, I'm lessening the underweight, if you will. I did sell out of some, several semiconductor companies because I'm, I'm worried about double and triple ordering. I did sell out of HPE. Last week we talked about it on, on the overtime show. Um, and. I'm finding other areas in tech that actually have fallen, like Fortinet was down as, 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 um, as much as 20% when I was taking a look at it. And I've been adding to that because I do like the network firewall business. I like the cybersecurity. So does everybody else. But I just found that to be pretty much of a, at a bargain price. Apple, you know, I'm now overweight Apple. It's much more defensive, but I do think they have a good capital allocation program that's going to uh, happen sometime in April. And I've, as I've said, they could buy back 2 to 3% of their share is outstanding for the next two to three years. And I like that as a cushion. Facebook, Meta, it's obviously very contrarian. And all the chartists hate the name. But I think that they're, they have a great franchise. Uh, and I do think they'll get reels right. They'll be able to monetize it. It's going to take some time. They have a $50 billion buyback. So I can find places in tech that I like. Now, my new, do you want me to go in, into the new name that I bought most recently in tech? Leave us hanging no more. Okay. 
<laughs> Accenture. Now, <clears throat> I've always had a hard time with Accenture because it's expensive, but this is absolutely best in class in the industry. It's down 21%. They just beat earnings. They guided higher in terms of total revenue, in terms of free cash flow, and they are at the center of enterprise spend recovery and the digital transformation where they're gaining market share versus their peers. They're going five to seven times as fast as their peers, and they're benefiting from the outsourcing trend. They've got the people, the size and the scale, and their customers need them. They have pricing power and they've been doing all kinds of M&A, $4 billion last year, $4 billion likely this year. So it's not cheap. But I do like what they're doing and I love the fact that they're executing consistently and beating and raising. Okay. So, Dr. J, tackle this issue of technology for me, right? And let's play off where we started the show. If, if you think that inflation is peaking, and maybe, maybe you don't personally, but if the broader you, right, yeah. if they think inflation is peaking and the Fed, as a result of that, isn't going to have to be um, as aggressive, let's say on a scale of one to 10, if they're not going to have to be a 10 or an 11, um, is technology the place you want to get back to right now? Um, I never left it, is the answer, Scott. And uh, I don't see a reason why I would leave it. I, I continue to just see marvelous upside. There's a reason, obviously, uh, that Warren Buffett got deeper into tech, obviously biggest shareholder of Apple, and then gets deeper in with the HPE purchase and so forth. Uh, you know, the, the signs are all there that this is a sector you hold on to, not a sector you dump out of, in my opinion. Um, trading in and out of semis, like Stephanie just said, probably a smart thing to do. Um, I haven't been very active in that sector, although I do own a couple of those stocks. But tech broadly, Scott, I've got one during uh, actually two tech stocks that I'll bring you uh, with unusual activity today. So, yeah, I am still in the tech trade and looking to add, not subtract. OK, Degas, you wrap it up with the same question about technology. What would you do with it today? I mean, the Nasdaq was down like eight percent in a week before today. That's what the headlines and the leads were to, to yesterday's shows. Right. Nasdaq's getting obliterated. These stocks are getting hit. Some of the mega caps are starting to go down like the others. Now a relief rally of some sense today with this inflation print. But what do we do now? Yeah, Scott, what you want to do is focus on those companies that are profitable. You know, we talk a lot about the companies that have high multiples or no multiples. You want to avoid those companies even in this environment. So you want to stay with quality tech. All right. OK, we'll take a quick break. Stay with us. Today's halftime headliner is next. Wharton professor of finance, Jeremy Siegel, joins us next. I mean, he's been sounding the alarm on inflation now that Gunlock says it's peaking. Kramer says it's peaking. Tom Lee says it's peaking. Does Siegel think it's peaking? We'll ask him next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Green across the screen, as you see there, our halftime headliner has warned that the Fed would be more aggressive than the markets expect. Does he still think that, even with today's better read on core inflation? Let's welcome in Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School. It's good to see you again. I mean, that really is the question. You have been among the loudest people out there. Inflation, inflation, inflation. The Fed's going to have to be way more aggressive than the market thinks. Well, Gunlock now says inflation's peaking and others have said it, too. What do you think? Well, I, I think, you know, eight and a half percent year over year, that might be the peak. But I think there's going to be six, seven percent year over year for a long time. By the way, I think Stephanie had it the top of your program in, in terms of of uh, there's a lot of very uh, negative forces uh, for inflation in terms of making inflation worse. I mean, we see oil above 100 again. I'm particularly worried natural gas, which is almost doubled. And I'm talking about February 23 gas is when it's really used for heating is almost doubled, used for electricity also. Uh, if you take a look, as Stephanie mentioned, at the rental indexes and the home ownership indexes, they're only up four or five percent year ago. Well, we know home prices are up 15, 20 percent, and that's going to get into that index. So technically, will we see something higher than eight and a half percent year over year? Well, maybe not. But is it going to be that good if it stays at six and a half to seven? Um, now, I do say that, you know, the fifth, the, the lower than expected core increase, and that's what the Fed looks at. So that certainly takes out 75 basis points, which I think James Bullard might have gone for at the May 4th meeting. So it's going to be 50. But I think I think we're going to see six, seven percent for many months to come. And I think the Fed has to continue at least 50 basis points hikes for a number of meetings. Well, I mean, I don't think, I mean, be honestly, I don't think anybody expected Professor 75 basis points in May. No, right? no, 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 no one expected that. But the bottom line, it sounds like I hear from you, is that you are not changing your view on what the Fed has to do moving forward and maybe more importantly, what it is going to do. In any way, you're, yeah, not, you're I, not changing your view on that. I, I still think that the Fed really has to get above 3%, 3.5% if it wants to slow the inflation, which I still think is, okay. is moving through the system. Now, to tell um, me, that, what, what does that mean for stocks then? What, what does it mean for stocks? It, it, it is that same problem that we've talked about before. By the way, I still think earnings, as Stephanie did say, are going to be great this year. So that numerator is going to be great, but that denominator keeps on getting revved up that you discounted at. So what do we see? Exactly what we have seen, a very choppy market and a rotation, which I think will continue towards those stocks that have more near-term cash flows. Um, I'm not ready to say that, uh, you know, technology is off to the races, although there's a lot of tech stocks uh, that are, you know, selling for very reasonable 19 20 times earnings, uh, certainly they're, they're fine. But any of anything more than that, 
I still think is is going to be disadvantaged uh, mm. in 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 this sort of market. Okay, so Steph, I turn to you first. The professor has cited you twice, which means you have an A plus in his class. You get the first question. <laughs> well, thank you, Professor Siegel. I have a question: Where you think wages are grow are going to? Um, we know about the JOLTS number, eleven point two million. We know initial claims were the lowest since nineteen sixty eight. We know the non farm payroll numbers continue to trend in the right direction. So, where does this leave us on the wage front? We've seen it increase. That's about five point five percent, according to the non farm payroll numbers. Where do you see it going, though? Well, there, there's two aspects to what you're talking about. First of all. You know, uh, and and it's scarcely been mentioned, but along with that inflation report is what's been happening to real wages. We see them down one, two percent. I I don't think labor is going to remain so quiescent. A lot of them are locked into three percent. I mean, that's what it had been for 10 years. You know, three, four percent increase. Well, that's not going to cut it. So I think there's going to be pressure on labor costs, uh, particularly those firms that are hiring from the open market find it already. But those people that have workers that have had for years, they're going to be agitating for higher uh, wages, which is going to put pressure onto the price structure. I think I think the, the market is going to remain strong. And the number of openings uh, relative to uh, those looking for work is at an all-time high. So even if the Fed does squeeze down demand, um, I really don't see unemployment uh, or claims rising very much from this level. Hey, Professor, can, can I own cyclical stocks in, in the kind of environment that you are describing you, you expect? Well, there's two aspects of cyclical because, you know, there may be a mild recession coming in 2023. And that's certainly what caused the cyclicals to move down a week or two ago. I think it's going to be quite a bit in the future. On the other hand, a lot of those cyclicals are selling for price earnings ratios I find attractive. So you have two forces against them. Can you still own them? Yeah, I, I think people might be too fearful mm. of, of uh, recession. If it comes, it's going to be quite a few months in the future. Okay. And I don't think it's going to be severe uh, by by any means. Oh, OK, Josh Brown, question for the professor. Hey, Professor. So this is not um, hypothetical. This is real life. In the first three months of this year, my firm hired nine people from all over the country, all different roles at the firm, uh, from senior to entry level. Not because we felt like it, but demand is there. Um, and so to a degree, we could justify starting somebody at 80000 that would have been 60000 in 2019. Okay, most businesses are saying we can justify that the economy is good. This next phase that we're going into now um, the Fed rapidly hiking rates to catch up with the market's expectations into a deceleration, a slowdown. How much longer can we count on small and mid-sized business? I know big businesses, they have more flexibility. How much longer, though, can we rely on the middle and the small part of, of American business to keep doing that? At a certain point, that imbalance has to correct just through sheer uh, no mas. I, I, I know there's more business to be done. We can't do it. It's no longer right. profitable. Answer. When do you think yeah. we hit that point? Well, well, you're certainly right. I mean, I, personally, we see on, on, on corporate earnings calls, they're able to pass on prices. Now, you're talking about large corporations. Small ones right. are that. And that's what you're talking about. It re, in the new 
as you're saying, the new higher market uh, is is so hot that they're seeing 10, 20 percent wage increases. Do they have the power of passing it on? And by the way, also, if you're particularly energy intensive in your production, you're also going to have a harder time to push those wages on. On the other hand, there's, as you said, try to book a travel. There's money out there. People want to spend after two years of, of, uh, of you know, semi-lockdown or lockdown. Um, and uh, as a result, I think they're going to mostly accept the higher prices. Um, it will be self-limiting at one point when we see the Fed's uh, hikes, lower money supply growth, which I monitor very, very closely. Uh -huh. Then you're going to begin to see that self-limiting. But at this particular time, I, I still think those pressures are on. Okay. Hey, Professor, it's always a pleasure. I'll see Thank you again you. soon. That's Professor Absolutely. Jeremy Siegel at the Wharton School, looking for a, what he calls a mild recession, maybe an early, early 2023. Um, yields moving a little bit lower. Stocks are off their highs as well. NASDAQ's only up barely 90 now. That's, you know, a pretty decent pullback from where we started the show. Dow Industrials, good for still 100 points. It's still triple digits. But maybe we're pairing some a little bit. Still ahead, John has unusual activity. We'll be back right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back right now. Let's get to Steve Leisman, who has breaking news on the Fed. Are we talking some Brainerd headlines that are moving right now, Steve? Yeah, Lev Brainerd talking right now at a uh, conference with the Wall Street Journal. Um, <clears throat> Scott, she's making some optimistic, uh, maybe guarded, I'd say guarded comments about the inflation report this morning. Several economists and now uh, Brainerd, who is the, uh, I guess, presumptive vice chair nominee for the Federal Reserve, um, saying that she welcomes the moderation in the core goods sector. Uh, you'll note there was a, a the goods sector came down a little bit, mostly propelled by a decline in used car prices. Um, but, you know, I say guarded because she says there's a lot of potential upside risk to inflation down the road, uh, including uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, uh, as well as the China lockdown. She said these these um, uh, present upside risk to inflation. Overall, Scott, she gives up a, a pretty optimistic view of the ability of the Fed to raise interest rates and not create a recession, suggesting there's a lot of strength in the labor market and in the economy. Uh, so she's optimistic about that. But these are, I don't know, maybe the first positive, if very guarded, comments on inflation from a Fed official in a long time. Yeah, she does say um, that the recovery can be sustained even as we bring inflation down. 
right? That speaks directly to the question of whether they can engineer the soft landing amid doubts that they can actually right. pull that off. And then the other thing I find interesting that she says, too, is that financial conditions, she thinks, uh, will bring demand down uh, to more sustainable levels, um, i.e. tightening policy, tightening financial conditions a bit, is going to do the job, she hopes and thinks. Now the question is, the proof's going to be in the pudding, Steve, as to whether they can actually pull that all off. Yeah, and do so without a recession. I, I, I think the Fed can, can fight inflation and win, but as we've been talking about, Scott, it sometimes wins ugly with the large rise of unemployment uh, and or it ends in a recession. Um, I, I think what the Fed has going for it right now is this very low unemployment rate. It has 11 million job openings to, you know, kind of play with in the sense that they may get rid of job openings and not actual jobs. That's the upside. But but Scott, let's remember tomorrow we got the producer pricing, uh, producer price index. And that's, you know, probably going to show considerable uh, pressure in the pipeline for inflation at the producer level that needs to work its way down into the consumer level at some point, or it will be absorbed in lower profit margins. So, uh, and, and it's not entirely clear to me that we have uh, absorbed all of the price increases that are coming from what's happened in Russia and the China lockdown. So I still think there are I put it this way, I'd say it would be premature to declare peak inflation. At no, this point. For, yeah, for sure. I mean, even though, you know, so, some are tossing that around. But given where the inflation headlines have been over the past many months, I mean, we'll take what we got today and at least have a smile for a day and we'll see what tomorrow brings, Steve. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the only thing you, you can do here is uh, is everybody wants to be on top of that peak inflation trade or story. Uh, but but you just can't do it. And even Brainerd herself said you don't want to go too far on one month's headlines. So she's guarded about this optimistic take. All right, from the for sure. Report. Uh, Steve Leeson with the headlines there from Lyle Brainerd. Thanks, Steve. Let's get the headlines now with Christina sure. Partsinevelos. Hi, Christina. Hi, Scott. A massive manhunt right now is underway in New York City. Police converged at a subway station in the Sunset Park section of Brooklyn this morning. They say a man wearing a gas mask threw a smoke grenade inside a moving train and then opened fire. Ten people were shot. Another six were hurt. There were right now no life-threatening injuries. The incident is not being investigated as a terrorist act, but the motive is still unknown. The suspect, believed to have been acting alone, escaped in the confusion as the train pulled into the station. This individual is still on the loose. This person is dangerous. We're asking individuals to be very vigilant and alert. We'll get more reports on specificity as the day goes on. This is an active shooter situation right now in the city of New York. Boris Johnson and his wife, Carrie Johnson, are being fined by London police for violating COVID lockdown rules. Mr. Johnson's fine is for attending a birthday party thrown for him in the cabinet room almost two years ago. He is the first serving prime minister of the UK to be sanctioned for breaking the law. And all children should be screened for anxiety starting when they are eight years old. That's the draft guidance this morning from a group of independent medical experts. The panel repeated its recommendation that children between the ages of 12 and 18 be screened for severe depression. Tonight on the news, new artificial limbs that allow people to almost experience the sensation of touching something. That's 7 p.m. Eastern. Scott, back with you. I look forward to that. Thanks, Christina Partsinevelis. All right, up next, trades on some of the biggest analyst calls of the day. Dr. J has unusual activity as well when we come back. All right, let's talk about some calls of the day. CrowdStrike upgraded to a buy at Goldman Sachs. They say... The threat environment continues to drive strong demand. Stocks up 4%. Josh Brown, you are an owner 
of CrowdStrike. Price target to 285 from 241. That's a sizable upside. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think that we're even in the second inning yet of how important cybersecurity and how large the addressable market is going to become within our lifetimes. We spent all this time talking about AI, virtual machine learning, et cetera, et cetera. You can't do anything if it's not secure, like literally nothing. Last year, the Colonial Pipeline uh, was, was ransomwared from us. We literally had to pay crypto to get back a third of this country's energy network. And everyone forgot about it because Kim started dating Pete Davidson. But like this is going to happen with increasing uh, uh, regularity and intensity, and we better get real smart. So CrowdStrike is a $50 billion player in the space. I spent a half an hour last night talking with the CEO. They have just gotten a higher level certification to be able to work directly with Department of Defense. This is something almost no other cybersecurity companies have. In addition, they've been signing strategic partnerships with companies like Amazon Web Services and Mandiant. They are serving 15 of the largest 20 financial institutions in America, a huge chunk of the Fortune 500, every sector, every geography all over the world. And I think they continue to win because they have one of the best products. So I'm a long-term shareholder in CrowdStrike. I uh, continue to stay with this name. I think if uh, people have that wake-up call that I was talking about gradually over time and start allocating more to this sector, CrowdStrike's going to get a lot of that market cap and work out very well for long-term shareholders like myself. Okay, let's take a look at Cisco as well, which I'm looking at on my screen right here. Uh, 52 bucks is down to one and a third percent. Downgraded stuff to a sell today at City. The price target mm. gets cut to 45 from 65. What do you make of this? Because you just trimmed Cisco yesterday. Pretty timely. Well, I did trim it yesterday because I do think um, as supply chain chains ease, which is not probably until 2023, but when they ease, I think they're going to be left with a lot more inventory uh, that I will feel comfortable with. But that being said, near term, I don't see a lot of downside here, especially with product orders of 30 percent plus over the last three quarters. So they've got some pretty good visibility. This analyst was saying they're losing market share. I, I don't think you can tell if they're losing market share just given all of the supply chain issues. So I just wanted to make it a little bit smaller, but at 15 times earnings, 3% dividend yield, if it were to pull back substantially from here, I would absolutely be buying it back. Okay. We have less than 24 hours to go now until the big banks start reporting earnings. We'll find out how the committee is setting up ahead of that next. All right, as you know, the big banks are getting ready to report earnings starting tomorrow morning. Financials, they have struggled lately. Leslie Picker looking at whether investors have been too pessimistic. Leslie, what did you find? It's possible, Scott. We'll see. Uh, bank stocks getting a bit of a relief rally today thanks to overall market optimism that inflation may be peaking after today's CPI read. It's reminiscent of kind of what took place earlier this year when investors piled into bank stocks on the prospect of rate, rate hikes. But then mid-quarter sentiment shifted over concern that the war in Ukraine and supply chain issues would cause the Fed to hike more than the market initially anticipated. And suddenly bank stocks sold off over fears of a recession on Average, according to a recent note, the largest banks outperformed the S&P on a market cap weighted basis by 1,300 basis points through mid-February and then underperformed by 1,500 basis points through quarter end. Higher rates serve as a tailwind to banks because they can charge more for loans than they pay out to depositors, boosting their margins 
for loan making. But when it became clear a few weeks ago that the Fed would have to hike more aggressively to get this inflation under control, the risk of recession overshadowed, overshadowed any potential benefits. But as Wells Fargo analyst Mike Mayo said earlier on CNBC, any commentary from bank execs about a better economic outlook than the market is pricing in could be a catalyst for these stocks to go higher. So definitely some negative sentiment heading into the print. We'll see if these earnings can do enough to uh, catalyze the stocks higher, Scott. Yeah, Les, we will uh, for sure. Um, Degas, I mean, Kramer was talking this morning how he likes some of the banks here, right? I mean, they've been hated. Is now the time they're going to get a jump start? It depends on the bank that you select. So, you know, for instance, we own Morgan Stanley, and it has a very diversified revenue stream. It gets 50% from institutional uh, sales of uh, securities, 40% from wealth management, and 10% from asset management because of the acquisition of Eden Vance and E-Trade. So this company has a lot of diversification in its revenue, so it could do well going forward as, as it goes uh, to announce its earnings. And then if you look at regional banks, uh, Huntington Bank is, for instance, is one that could do very well also because they have growth in both their loans, grew by 8%, deposits grew by 5%, and also they're trying to get into municipal and also corporate finance. So the companies that are diversifying their revenues have a good opportunity here to do well in this market. Dr. J, uh, Bank of America calls, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo. You got a lot riding on these. Yeah, and I think uh, that Jamie will deliver. I think the other two stocks, Wells Fargo, as well as Bank of America, will deliver, Scott. Uh, the, the issue is uh, for the coming quarter, um, are these higher rates that they're going to be charging for consumer loans, commercial loans, and so forth, are those going to be destroying demand? And I don't know that we're there yet. I think we're still at a point where we're going to see accelerated uh, demand because of people worrying that they go significantly higher uh, in order to tame inflation, as Degas said. Okay. Josh Brown, J.P. Morgan as well, right? And I've said it over and over again that it was really the, the line last time at the beginning of earnings, right? J.P. Morgan did not report well, and that stock really has not performed since. Is this a turnaround here or no? I think it's going to be a really tough quarter for um, the money center banks. I think you can own some financials, but to Degas's point, they're not going to trade as a block uh, because there are very specific aspects of each of them that will either thrive or suffer in this environment. And the money centers are not the place to be right now. If you're looking for short-term performance, all you need to know, the home builders hit a 52-week low last week, okay? They're bouncing today, great. They're still uh, down 30% year-to-date. The fixed 30-year uh, mortgage hit five and a quarter percent, okay? So we're gonna have demand destruction in housing, which is very important to all of the banks. The only question is, how soon does it become apparent? How bad does it get before it subsides? We already know this. We know it. Um, semiconductors look terrible. Uh, transports look terrible. All of the classic things that you would look at as indicative of where the economy is headed. So I, I just don't think that that's the area that you should really be focused on. I like alternative asset management. So I'm in Carlisle. I think CG is a better place to be than any traditional lender 
Yes, it's a financial. No, it has nothing to do with deposit rates. That's the kind of way that I would be thinking in that space right now and not obsessing over whether or not Citi or, or JP are going to beat by a nickel or whatever. I don't think it's going to matter. All right. Uh, quick break. <clears throat> then unusual activity with the doctors next. Staff, we're working on John Nigerian's feed for unusual, so we'll have that in a second. But talk to me about Boeing. This call today reiterated outperform. 239 is the price target. I mean, that's, that's pretty hefty from where it is now. 177. You own it. <sighs> Yeah, I own it, and it's been really frustrating. It's down 12% on the year. The stock really trades on the 737 MAX and seeing improving deliveries and orders, which they are building, and also the 787 getting that back into production, and we don't really have clarity on that. It's a little long, taking a little longer than I would have expected. But the free cash flow story is actually the reason why I like it, because I do think as they get these planes uh, into delivery mode, free cash flow should actually improve. And so I'm sticking with it. It's been frustrating. I think the one big catalyst that I'm waiting for is uh, China recertification of the 737 MAX. That could come any day. Uh, so that's why I, uh, I own it. And you know I'm, I'm in it because it is a restructuring okay. story. Uh, we will take a quick break. When we come back, you'll either see Doc or you're going to hear Doc, but you're going to get unusual activity, I promise you, next. we got a couple of big interviews coming up in overtime at 4 o'clock today. Kathy Wood, ARK Invest CEO, will join us. And Guggenheim's Scott Minard will be with us as well. That's a CNBC exclusive. He's got a new note out today. You don't want to miss those comments, and I'll see you in a few hours from now. John is on the phone with Unusual. Doc, go ahead. All right, Scott. Uh, Tesla, uh, the stock uh, trades at about 995. They're buying 6,000 of the next Friday expiration 1050 calls. They bought them in two big prints, so in other words, 3,000 apiece. That's a big trade. We followed into that. Second one, Snowflake, S-N-O-W. Um, this one expires Thursday this week because Friday, of course, is a holiday. There's no trading, so these expire Thursday. They're buying the April 230 calls there, Scott. Uh, about 5,500 of those changed hands so far today. All right. Good stuff. Hey, while I have you, Doc, give me a final trade, please. All right. EVTL. This is vertical lift cars. They're getting a big pop today, and people are betting that they're going to keep going higher, Scott. Yeah, a big pop indeed, 36%. Uh, higher than that, exactly. higher than 40 now. Uh, Doc, thank you. Stephanie Link, what do you have for us? Target, I've been adding to it. It's now my largest discretionary name. It's best-in-class retailer. They're seeing tra uh, traffic and ticket strength, so they're seeing double-digit comps. They're buying back $10 billion of stock as well. Okay, good stuff. Degas right. Yeah, we like Stephanie's buy of Accenture, leading digital and cloud consulting firm with a free cash flow yield of 7% and growing earnings estimates. Okay, and Josh Brown. Uh, Dutch Bros, caffeine is recession uh, uh, proof. And I think when you look at this chart, you can see what I see. Okay. Higher lows. The buyers are stepping in earlier each time. Thanks, guys. See you in overtime. That does it for us. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.